Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Now we find Paul's education, his ability, was actually every much as great as these fancy orators that had come to Corinth. And yet he also had a whole lot of what I call road experience in ministry. His feet had been on the ground in ministry for a number of years, and these false apostles didn't have that. They saw something going on over here that they thought that they could take advantage on, so they kind of jumped onto the bandwagon. Whereas Paul had been literally pounding the pavement and the dirt roads for years in ministry and in service to the church. Today, Pastor David teaches about Paul's battle and struggle with those he calls false apostles. From 2 Corinthians, it seems that dynamic, good preachers and charismatic leaders were winning over the Corinthian believers. The problem was that these preachers were not sharing the true gospel and their influence was becoming an obstacle to the true gospel of God transforming lives. Paul was bold, especially when it came to leading and keeping others in right relationship with Jesus Christ. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, The Apostles' Challenge. Actually, tonight is kind of part two of last week. Last week, we looked at the idea of people believing a lie over the truth and how easy that is. And unfortunately, it just kind of seems like our natural person is more willing to believe a lie than the truth. And we find that in so many ways. Remember, I spoke to you about the situation where there was a guy that was certified, he was degreed CPA, had a master's in business administration, and he was being slandered, he was, he was being undercut by a guy who learned on YouTube how to do the short form of taxes, and he was going around trying to steal business from him, and he was saying all kinds of things about the guy that had the business, he was slandering him every way that he could, trying to undercut this guy, and again, how the Apostle Paul probably felt that way by these false apostles that were coming in, saying all kinds of things about him. We, we look at it, we, we realize that those guys, they were spreading all kinds of rumors, they were spreading and speaking all kinds of innuendos, they were lying completely about the Apostle Paul, about his calling, about his heart, his desire for ministry, his commitment to the people of Corinth, all these things. And Paul realized that he had to take a stand, not just in his own defense, but really for the good of the people of Corinth because these false teachers were coming in and they were gonna lead the people of Corinth the wrong pattern, the wrong direction. They were gonna lead them astray. And so Paul felt that he really had to take that stand. So let's pick up where we left off last week. We are in the book of 2 Corinthians. We are in chapter 11. I invite you to turn there with me if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
We just got into chapter 11, a couple of verses last week, and so we're right in the earlier part of it. Actually, chapter or verse 5 is where we will begin. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, Paul writes, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, and yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. I shared with you last week again that Paul was was called directly by the Lord as he traveled along that uh, road heading to Damascus. He was traveling that day as Saul of Tarsus, and he had something else totally in mind as he was heading to Damascus that day, and then came Jesus. And I love that whole idea, that thought that we can be traveling along in our life, have our own plans and our purposes, and then comes Jesus. And a lot of times, it, we, we end up doing a 180-degree difference because of how the Lord impacts our life. And surely, that is exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul. Jesus came, totally changed everything, both temporarily in his life, but the most important thing, it changed everything eternally for Paul's life. Paul suddenly became a follower of the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. And as Paul makes that bold statement here in 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent of the apostles. That word used there in the Greek could also be translated the super apostles. Now, I alluded to you last week, he's not just, he's not talking about the 12, he's, he's talking about other ones, other ones that were calling themselves apostles. And particularly when we look at what we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians, I believe that it's a phrase of sarcasm, these super apostles. I think Paul probably even lifted up his hands as he was, you know, dictating this to the right. I'm not, you know, I'm not at all inferior to these super apostles. You know, this whole idea, that's what these guys felt that they were, and that's what, how they presented themselves to Corinth at that time. They made themselves out to be something when in reality they were neither called by God nor were they true representatives of the message of God. They were doing something there, but Paul understood very quickly these guys were not on board with the truth of God's word. Paul had received support from other churches. He ministered to these churches throughout his missionary journeys. The churches were blessed by his ministry, and they understood that the support of the work of ministry and of the minister who works full-time in the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, it's both biblical and it's the right thing to do. And these false teachers, these false apostles, were again coming in and accusing Paul of even receiving money from the church there in Corinth. And a lot of what we're going to read tonight is Paul saying, hey, I didn't do any of that. I didn't take anything from you guys. But Paul made it very clear, even when he wrote to the church in Corinth, back in 1 Corinthians, he tells them in chapter 9, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of its fruit, who tends a flock and doesn't drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope. He who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. 
if we have sown spiritual things for you? Is it a great thing if we reap your material things? This is what he wrote to the church there in Corinth, and yet he himself wasn't taking anything from them. Still in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he continues on, if others are partakers of this right over you, are not are we not even more? Remember, Paul established that church there in Corinth. But he says, nevertheless, we've not used this right. But endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? Those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. I think it's pretty interesting today, even when you look around at churches, a variety of different churches or denominations, some just don't think it's right to support their ministers financially. They figure, no, it's a lot more spiritual if you'll just volunteer your time. Well, it helps with the budget of the church, definitely, but to volunteer their time and not be supported, rather than allowing that man to have the freedom to be able to serve the church without getting involved in trying to make a living for his family. I understand that when a church is small or a church is new, but as a church has the ability, I feel the word of God really clearly directs us to be financially supported for doing the work of the ministry. Paul tells the church in Galatia, he says, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. He tells Timothy, much like what he told the church there in Corinth in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads the grain, and also the laborer is worthy of his hires. I'm kind of upset that Paul twice speaks about ministers as oxes, but actually he's quoting the Lord from the Old Testament, so I can't argue with that. There seemed to be this real hesitancy with the church there in Corinth, whether they felt it was some sort of a spiritual pride thing that they weren't going to pay Paul, but it turns out that they were paying some of these false teachers. So this is what Paul is now dealing with. He's, he's got this challenge of going to these guys and saying, look, you're, you're, you're saying this that I did, I didn't, but you are. And so that's the argument that we find going on here. Perhaps there were some there at the church in Corinth that were too tight with their money. They, they didn't have a gracious or a giving heart. Perhaps they complained about paying the preacher. I don't know. Maybe perhaps these false teachers, these, these false prophets, they had poisoned the stream by taking advantage of the church way too much, making the church pretty hesitant to, to support any ministry. We don't know exactly all that went on. We definitely don't know the fullness of the heart there at the church. We don't know for certain why Corinth felt that way, but they did. And apparently, Paul felt this negative reaction from them. He determined in his heart not to seek after or even accept support from the church at Corinth, and that was from the very beginning of time. He received it from others. He received support from other churches as he ministered along his missionary journeys. He had received help even from Macedonia while he was working in Corinth. He was ministering to the church in Corinth The church in Corinth weren't supporting him, and another church was actually sending him support so that he could continue to minister there at Corinth. And what did he do while he was at Corinth? He was working, building tents, making tents. That was his trade. Remember with Priscilla and Aquila, trying to make a living so that he could continue 
preaching the gospel without charging the church there at Corinth. This whole financial support of ministry thing apparently stuck in the craw of some of the folk there at Corinth, and so Paul addresses it very straightforward. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look what he says in verse 7. He says, did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Oh, I robbed other churches. I took advantage. I took wages from them even to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I didn't become a burden to anyone. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. In other words, he's saying, you know what? I took care of things before, I'm gonna continue. No, don't send me a love gift, okay? Don't do that. As a matter of fact, he's gonna say, don't rob me at this, don't rob me of that joy of being able to do it. He goes on, he says, verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I love you. But what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. So in other words, not only had he received the support from Macedonia and not from Corinth, but he was willing to support himself. And he says, and you know what? I'm gonna keep supporting myself in reference to the ministry that I'm doing with you as a church. He wanted to make certain that the church there in Corinth, because of all the issues that they had, because of the attitude that they apparently were showing, he wanted to make certain that they understood that he wasn't going to be, number one, he's, I'm not gonna be a hireling to you. you. You pay me money and then you expect me to dance to your tune. That's not the way the ministry works. I'm being called and I'm being led by the Spirit of God in order that I might speak the truth of God at the time that it's needed to be, that I might correct the wrongs that are going on within the church when need be and not worrying about, well, gee, if I say this or if I point this out, maybe they'll cut my pay or maybe they'll remove their support of me and then what will I do? Paul says, no, I'm not gonna let that happen at all. But I think the other reason is he wanted to make sure that that church knew, I'm not gonna rip you guys off. I'm not ripping you off. I'm not gonna rip you off personally. I'm not gonna rip the church off. I'm not gonna take any funds from you at all. I think it's because there was this continual struggle. This is a church he had planted. This is a church he had ministered in for quite a while. This is a church he had dialogued with back and forth. The letters that we spoke about, that there's probably four letters. We probably don't have the first or the third one. We have our first and second Corinthians is actually probably 2 Corinthians and 4 Corinthians, and hopefully that doesn't mess your mind up too much. But in essence, he, he wrote to that church. He dialogued with that church. He had a relationship with that church. He loved that church. He was concerned about that church. And yet it seemed like there was this continual struggle that was going on. The challenge that he had just to minister to these guys. I don't know about you, but just between you and me, I'd have told him adios. I said, you know what? You guys are being so hard-headed and so difficult, and I'm trying to love on you, and yet you're fighting me every step of the way. I'm gonna shake the sand off my sandals, and I'm gonna move on down to the next town. 
But there was something about that fellowship there that Paul was determined, man, I'm going to continue pouring into them. I'm going to continue pouring the truth of God's word into them. And hopefully, prayerfully, eventually, the light will click on and they'll understand the truth of God's word. And they won't be overrun by these false apostles. Because right now, they're allowing themselves to be overrun by false apostles. Listen to what he says here. Again, his intentions, I believe, were totally honorable. They were godly. They were biblical. He knew that there were those that were directly involved even right then, ripping the church off. So he writes to him, verse 13. He says, for such are false apostles. These deceitful workers, they're, they're transforming themselves in transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, he says, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, but whose end will be according to their works. Wow. That's kind of like saying, you know, that, that guy that's over there right now teaching at your church, he's of Satan. He, he's following Satan. I mean, that's how bold, that's how brash, that's how straightforward Paul is here. He may be making himself out to be something, but I can tell you right now, no, he's not called by God. He's made him, he's tried to make himself an apostle of Christ. And yet he is a minister, even as he says, therefore it's no great thing if Satan's ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Paul centering in on these false apostles. He speaks here of them. They try to look like ministers of righteousness, and yet even Satan deceives, like Satan deceives, so many as, as a minister of light coming in, pretending to be one thing and yet not that at all. And apparently those false teachers, those false apostles, they came in with this powerful message. They came in with this real dynamic connection with the people. And it seemed like the people were just falling all over themselves, kind of lifting them up and kind of dissing Paul, saying, well, man, you, man you're so much greater than Paul was. Wow, your, your message is, man, they're, they're just so wonderful. They make me feel so great. And Paul, you know, he just kind of stumbled and stuttered through and nothing real big and important. Apparently these false guys, their messages tickled the ears, but they lacked the biblical truth. They, they lacked the counsel of God's whole word. Paul calls them pseudo-apostles. That Greek phrase, it's not used anywhere else in the Bible except right here when he calls them false apostles. Now, Jesus talked about false teachers. That phrase had been around for a long time. And false prophets, that phrase had been around for a long time. But it's only here where we find the mention of false apostles. And it's kind of like Paul coined that word. It's the idea that, that Paul is warning that these men and maybe even women, uh, they came in as apostles, but they were, they were pseudo-apostles. They were untrue, erroneous. They were deceitful. They were wicked. They were liars. They were false. Paul wanted the church at Corinth to watch out for these guys. Watch out for those that come in, setting themselves up as something that they're definitely not. Now, this next section that we're going to get into here in chapter 11 actually uh, is quite long. It's all together one thought and takes us right into chapter 12. 
at the very beginning of chapter 11, Paul made this statement up in verse one of chapter 11. He says, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me. And just as we find out a lot of Paul's teaching, he'll make his statement, say a few things, and then all of a sudden he'll kick over here and he may go two or three chapters you know, on something else before he finally kicks back into the statement that he made earlier on. Well, we kind of see that here. He started something in chapter 11, verse one. He kicks away from that. Now he's gonna kind of come back to it again. Paul now begins the listing of his, of his calling and of his experiences in life, both as a Jew as well as, as an apostle. These other pseudo-apostles, they, they touted their credentials to the Corinthians and said that they were this, said that they were that, and, and the church was absolutely enamored over them. They were smitten by these false apostles. So now we find Paul's education, his ability, was actually every much as great as these fancy orators that had come to Corinth, and yet he also had a whole lot of what I call road experience in ministry. His feet had been on the ground in ministry for a number of years, and these false apostles didn't have that. They saw something going on over here that they thought that they could take advantage on, so they kind of jumped onto the bandwagon, whereas Paul had been literally pounding the pavement and the dirt roads for years in ministry and in service to the church. Now, we're going to go through all of this actually in, in one setting, because we, I, I feel we need to see, we need to experience the dynamic of, of what Paul is sharing here with the church in order for us to understand both the mindset of Paul as well as that message that the church of Corinth really needed to receive. So on one hand, Paul feels that it's foolish to have to say the things that he's about to say. He said, man, you, uh, you, you bared with me in a little foolishness and, and you continue to bear with me. Well, he's gonna go at that a little bit more. But he also understood that the church needed to hear it. They needed to hear the balance of what he's telling them and, and the so-called credentials of these deceivers, those ones that were ripping the church off. He loved the church enough to be thought of as a fool. You understand that? He loved the church enough to kind of set himself just right out there and say, look, here, here's the deal. He didn't try to put on any pretenses. He says, this is just the real deal. Look at verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. I say again, let no one think me a fool, but if otherwise... But if otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Now, wait a minute. You say, what do you mean? He's not speaking, of the, he's not speaking through the Lord? He says, I don't speak this according to the Lord. No, Paul understands. Now, you know what? I'm just gonna get real honest with you guys. I'm just gonna, you know, kind of come on a level that you're gonna understand. I'm just gonna talk about myself for a while because you need to hear because you have not listened before and you've listened to these false teachers. He says, so I'm gonna boast a little bit. But you need to understand, man, I feel absolutely foolish in doing this because I should not have to do it. 
That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have, or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We're thankful that you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet Saturday nights at 6.30, Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can find our address and our directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links at the bottom of the page to our church website. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.